You know how this story goes, or at least you think you do, because it was probably you with a friend or maybe a girlfriend, a boyfriend, you know, those people that were so compatible, so seemingly made to be with one another as you went through school. But right after high school's over, everyone's lives just take them in these completely different paths that separate more as time goes on and pretty soon you lose contact. Well, that's what happened with Tim and Marissa. Dating in high school, prom together, very close, but that's where it ended because one was academically minded, headed for post-secondary education, travel, world experience. The other would remain home, venturing only just a few miles from where he was actually born, getting a job and doing that life. Now, from that picture, drawing those two diverging life paths, you could expect two separate stories today. Yet, years go by, and the next thing you know, Tim and Marissa are bouncing down a dusty road on the back of a motorcycle, exploring the world together, First America, Central America, South America, and now it's about to be Africa. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. The website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. They've been doing it since 2002. That's Outfitting Adventure Riders. And they have got a load, I mean the full load of parts and accessories online that they can ship to your door. MaxBMW.com. Get their e-rider newsletter. It's free. MaxBMW.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Tim and Marissa were high school sweethearts. And very likely their friends expected them to get married and have a life together. Yet when that last bell rang, Marissa had already had her sights on a college in another state. Well, Tim decided that he wanted to go get a job and start working. So as people do, they parted ways and sort of chased their own lives. And as time went on, Marissa traveled and explored new cultures. While back at home, Tim worked his way up through his job, bought a house, a cruiser motorcycle, a flat screen TV. And then every little while, Marissa would come home to meet up with friends and family. She'd tell stories of travel and strange cultures that she visited, and Tim would listen in. And then on one of these trips back home, Marissa announced she was married. And for Tim, that was just completely unacceptable. Now, about this time, you you would figure this story would break into two parts, one for Tim's life as he heads off and does what he's doing, one for Marissa's life and her what she is doing, because the two don't sound... Well, they don't sound like they're on the same path, but in fact, it doesn't. Fast forward to today, and they just got off a very dusty motorcycle. Yes, we 
just recently finished riding from Chicago down to the southern tip of South America in Ushuaia. And now we're preparing for Africa. We were supposed to leave today, but I'm glad we didn't because it's thunderstorming. So um, we're going to fly ourselves and the bike out to Africa. But we saved. We worked and saved money for years in order to do this. Really, after all this travel that you've done so far, North America, South America, you're worried about a little thunderstorm in the background? That does sound really bad. Yeah, you know, you're sounding really wimpy right off the start. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Fair weather travelers. <laughs> it's raining. <laughs> no, we've definitely gone through our fair share of thunderstorms and hailstorms, but, you know, we kind of try to avoid it. It's a good excuse to hang out with my father and cat one more day. Right. <laughs> you both grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We yeah. met in high school and we even went to prom together. But then we broke up for about 10 years and uh, went our separate ways and somehow came back together again. She traveled the world to try to find someone better than me and, and failed. So. <laughs> I want to talk about your bike and your gear first. You guys have traveled North America and South America. And how long did that take you? Almost two years. I'm almost two years on the road. Now, what bike are you riding and, and how do you have this thing set up for the two of you to ride on it? So we have a KTM 1190, the S, not the R. Um, and she is, she's healthfully loaded. Um, <laughs> we have uh, uh, soft panniers. So we have two panniers on either side and then a big uh, 45 liter soft bag as well on the on the rear. Why did you choose soft over hard luggage? That's a debate that I think both sides are, you know, have their, their strengths and weaknesses. Ours, I mean, what I, what I tell people is we have our clothes in one of our panniers and on the other we have like our camping gear and some of our, our other soft material. And so when the bike tips over, they're like little airbags that, that catch the bike. I don't know. That's what I always say too, is I have soft bags on mine and I always say they're, they're like um, impact bags on the side. Every time yeah, I drop yeah. it, you know, I've got the bags that sort of cushion the fall and then I have my exactly. stuff stored in a way that it, you know, it, it absorbs it in there without crushing too much. I have crushed a few things, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. same here. Yeah. But we have a few dents in our pots and pans. It just adds character. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got a, a good, uh, I've got a pump from Best Rest that's been heavily flattened and pushed back. No. And still works fine. But a lot of people say with the soft bags, it's security. And that's the issue. Have you ran into any problems with that, especially through South America? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big believer that if somebody wants to get into something, they're going to get into it regardless. Um we, we do have these things called steel core straps, and pretty much all it is is a belt uh, that has a steel core running through the middle of it, and then it ends with a, a little locking device on it. And so that prevents any snatch and grabs or anybody being able to just easily open it up and, and try to steal something while we're away for a couple minutes. But uh, I think if anybody had enough time, they'll, they'll take whatever they want. Mm, yeah. And maybe the whole bike. I mean, that's yeah, the whole bike, yeah, yeah. There's, there's always, I mean, if somebody really wants something, you're right. But, but what about the, the slash and grab thing? You know, somebody comes up and slashes the bag and you know, the contents pour out and they, they grab the stuff and run. No, you haven't had any worry about that. No. And I don't know, uh, we have Moscow moto bags and they're kind of built up in a couple different layers. And so there's a really thick exterior. And again, like, you know, a, a real nice heavy swing with a machete would probably get in there pretty quickly, but it's, 
I, I've, I've slid on the bags before. I've, I've scraped them up against nasty rocks, and they've always been uh, pretty tough. And then I, internally of those is another PVC heavy plastic material to even waterproof it further. And so again, it, it's just it would take effort to do it. And you know, I, I, again, I think if it was your your any other hard case, you know, a, a good crowbar and a, a a shadow, a dark place to do your own little work. You, you can get into any bag. Mm, yeah, that's so true. I mean, sometimes you'll see people buy a really expensive lock and put on a hasp, not realizing that all you have to do is cut through the hasp and you're into the, yeah. whatever it is. You're, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and some of it can be paranoia. What, what's your like paranoia about, you know, I'm worrying too much about my gear, you know, rather than just going on faith that everything will be fine. If something happens, you sort of deal with it. But, but what's your routine when you come into a place to stay? Do you take all your bags off and carry them away? Um, well, uh, we're lucky that there's two of us, right? So for borders or for hotels or for, you know, a lot of the, the small tasks, one of us can stay by the bike while the other one runs in you know, to chit and chat. Usually that's Marissa because she's more fluent in foreign languages than I. It's really good to have two people because one person can always be with the bike pretty much everywhere. If we have to buy groceries one person always goes in and buys the groceries and the other person stands at the bike. If we have a border crossing, um, we always have somebody standing by the bike while the other person does paperwork. And it's more tedious because there are long lines usually at the border that you have to wait at. But it's so much better because I don't ever trust the bike to be by itself unless it is um, in a gated area with a night guard, um, with video surveillance, um, inside of a lobby. So we always make sure that whenever we're um, finding a hotel, that it always has a place to put the bike that is secure. That's our number one priority. Yeah, I'd say we've gotten pretty lucky with where we've been able to stash the bike because you don't always know an eye overlander usually gives a heads up, but sometimes you know, people leaving reviews saying you can park your bike in the courtyard. They have like a DR650, you know, and I got this <laughs> huge motorcycle but uh we, we've been lucky you know we're not a hundred percent paranoid about it you know but it's that is like all of our life and all of our gear and we do have a couple freebie snatchable items that if they really wanted to get something they could probably snag a chair and they would feel good and i would feel good you know <laughs> but uh all of my actual valuable possessions we try to keep under lock and key and in the more difficult areas of the, to, to snag something from. And I know we're going to have to be very diligent in Africa. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a little concerned, but I never let it take away from the experience. I never worry myself to death over it. <laughs> right. Well, Marissa, what's it like on the back for comfort wise with all the bags? Actually, I prefer all the bags on the back with me. I've gotten really comfortable with that setup. And whenever we take all the bags off and I get on, I feel like, whoa, this is way too open. I could just slide off on either side at any moment. And I don't have that kind of comfort of feeling the objects next to me kind of holding me in. So I do prefer having the bags on. <laughs> yeah, she sits in her own little like lazy boy comfort chair back there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys both sort of chuckled when you said about how it, your bike is loaded. Are you overloaded? Uh, that 
I think that KTM would have one opinion and then everybody else in the world has their own individual opinion. Um, you know, we, we've met people that have traveled with a lot of stuff um, and we've met people that have traveled with like a bare minimum. And I think we're right in the middle of that scale. Um, I do think that it's your burden that you are carrying. And so it depends on what type of roads you'd want to go down. Uh, it depends on how many times you want to pick a bike up that weighs an extra hundred pounds, you know, but I think it's an individual, you know, preference. And I, uh, you know, it may, I always say the back of my bike kind of looks like the motorcycle equivalent of the Beverly Hillbillies, but <laughs> you know, I have a little tin cup on the back that I strap on just for an added Bonus for those but. who don't know, might want to look up a picture of the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> uh, I, I I imagine you, by the sounds of it, you have not actually weighed this. You don't know if you're you're close to your maximum weight or maybe even beyond your maximum weight, uh, your maximum payload for the 1190. We did that on purpose. So when people ask us how much it weighs, I can honestly, <laughs> truthfully say, I don't know. Too you much. feel comfortable <laughs> saying I have no clue. <laughs> yes. um, and again, I don't think we're we're too far beyond the specs of what KTM would would suggest, uh, and I, I do know that they kind of undercut it. Just so if you do go over in your monoshock brakes or something, they can say, "Hey, look, look at your bike," you know. But uh, um, we've been lucky. Our monoshock did break in Ecuador, but it was a five year old shock, and up to that point, we had beaten the beaten the heck out of it. So I'm I'm satisfied with what it was able to put up with and. If this next one could last another three years of abuse, that's uh, that's a good performance on me, in my mind. <laughs> when you say broke, what broke on it? So the pin, uh, so the 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 spring, the the, the actual mechanism that that where uh, the oil and resistance, all that is. There's a, a thicker rod that it rides on, um, but the pin that connects to that rod snaps like a finger it's the thickness of like a pencil and when we took it to ktm he said he's never seen it fracture like that on any of these big bikes usually it's like the 250s that are doing backflips off of ramps you know but <laughs> so did he mention your load at that point uh usually i strip my bike down a little bit before i take it right. <laughs> you you pretend, you pretend, look yeah, i don't like, know what I don't happened. happened what's wrong with this, this, is, this is not right <laughs> so, so when you're when you're traveling along, you mentioned hotels, going in and finding hotels with security. Are you camping as well, or is it strictly hoteling it? So the states we camped a heck of a lot because it's it's awesome, and that was kind of you know a, a beginner step. Um, Baja, we camped a lot. In Central America, we did a bit less camping because it was more densely populated and there weren't really good wild camping spots and there weren't really good um, campgrounds to be found very often. We did camp sometimes, especially along the beach. But um, South America, it was just a camper's heaven. We oh, loved amazing. to camp and we really had a good time just pulling off wherever we thought, oh, this is beautiful and setting up camp for the night. That was really fun. And then every few days we'd find ourselves a little cheap hotel room to have a good shower at. But Marissa has a very strict three days. I need a shower rule. I can go yes. weeks, if not months, but Marissa keeps us on track <laughs> and our hygiene. Right. Yes. Her, her nose is better than yours, you're saying. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
So camping it, um, so you've got all your camping gear with you. What about tools and things for repairing the bike? Because I'm just going to throw this out here, Tim. I, I don't think you're really that into the mechanical aspects of your bike. Am I wrong? No. Nah, you, so every time I work on my bike, I get about like a half an inch deeper, right? So you nailed it on the head probably by my monoshock description. Right? Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> the it's, slidey part. It's, it sort of gave it away. <laughs> so you're not you're not burdening yourself with a ton of tools. And has, has that been your only problem is the monoshock? Uh, that's the only thing that broke, you know, yeah. Uh, we've had some electrical glitches. Gaskets that leak. Gaskets that leak, you know, but what I carry are brake pads, you know, oil filters and RV silicone and super glue and gorilla tape, you know. So that's my <laughs> those are my my backups. We had our um, chain guard kind of be eaten away by the chain once, and Tim skillfully zip tied everything together again. Yes. So yeah, that's kind of where I we're at. The, toilet sweat. <laughs> the, the chain guard was eaten away because you left the chain too loose for too long. Is that what happened? Um, or is it that it heavily loaded? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But it was, uh, we were going through Argentina and the bike, the bike was ready to go back to Chicago. And, and, and so were we almost. And so just the oil leaks were being something that I was trying to plug like a Dutch dam and it just wasn't working. The last time I had put on a chain, it wasn't the stock chain. So it's a little bit uh, narrower. And so it wasn't fitting on the, the chain guide correctly. So it kind of jumped left to right and then it gnawed a... Uh, angular path across the, the guard and yeah and then it just went to heck from there and it started <laughs> bouncing into my swing arm kind of being an active chainsaw on my motorcycle so there was there was a lot of stress at the end and a lot of uh small problems that you know death by a thousand needles type thing now you've done north and south america with the gear that you have what mm. gear doesn't cut it for you now. What what gear have you came back and thought we're not taking that, or maybe you shipped it back part way and thought we're not taking that. And then what do you want that you didn't have? We shipped back our heated gear pretty early on. Um, I thought, well, being cold is a real problem for me, and I'm always concerned about being cold on the bike. But um, it was just so big and heavy, and we realized that our down jackets were working well. And I did get a bit cold towards the end in Argentina and kind of wished I had my heated gear, but they're just so big and There's heavy. It's, yeah. I think it's just too much to bring for a couple that's two up with all of the other things that we had that we felt were very necessary. Now, we did downsize quite a bit throughout our trip and we kept sending home things, especially things that were for warmer weather once we got to South America. So the hammock we sent back. Um, we sent back pieces of clothing and hats that we felt, you know, summer hats, like or we each had one that we felt wasn't necessary anymore. Um, for Africa, I think we still have downsized even more. We're on a constant mission to find the perfect packing uh, <laughs> way There's to pack our nothing bike. Nothing more frustrating than riding behind a couple of two up on like an F800 that have like it looks like they're going out for a weekend stroll. They've <laughs> done the same thing as you. And it's just the whole time I'm fixated on their gear. Like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? What do I have? What do they not have? <laughs> but uh, 
We have a lot of electronics. Um, and at first we even were carrying books. Yeah, we had a couple of books. <laughs> Journals. But for and... Africa, we've upgraded our, we have a good mosquito net, you know, that can be used in hostels and, and all that. What we used to do with, we have a little two-person tent that is about the size of a, a double mattress and that always worked out well. But our our sphere of mosquitoes and the diseases they carry for Africa are significantly higher. So we want to make sure that they don't get us. But pretty much the same, same setup, same stuff. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. About staying in hotels, because you mentioned you're staying in a lot of hotels, especially through Central America. What was it like expense-wise for you? Well, that was part of the debate, too, is because um, some of the hotels you can find for like 12 bucks a night. And there's established campgrounds where sometimes, you know, 10 bucks to 15 bucks a night. And so it just made more sense in some areas to uh, to stay in, in hotels. They had Wi-Fi, they had hot water, they had a bathroom. <laughs> okay, wait, now hold on though. <laughs> sometimes they did not have Wi-Fi, sometimes they did not have hot water. Um, there's a lot of suicide showers, which are like electric showers. Um, and those work sometimes quite well and sometimes they don't work at all. Um, you know, there's always the risk of bed bugs and cockroaches everywhere. And sometimes the bathrooms were shared. Um, so, you know, you get different gradients of the type of hotels <laughs> that you'll find for very cheap. Um, but yeah, <laughs> most of them were surprisingly nice for the price. When you're describing that, it doesn't sound like fun. You know, it doesn't sound like something <laughs> that somebody wants to do. And I think in your blog, you had a, a passage where you wrote, but after 20 months of riding throughout North and South America on the back of a motorcycle, and this is you, Marissa, I got used to the unexpected. I got used to eating whatever we could find at roadside markets, to always be drenched in sweat under my motorcycle jacket, and to be constantly fighting off stomach bugs and rubbing out aching bones. This doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> oh, is it fun? Like, is there some sort of, is it protracted? Is it, does the fun come afterward when you're looking back? Where is the fun in this? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the fun does come from looking back on it. And in the moment, sometimes it is difficult, but I think it's the difficulties that make it rewarding because if there weren't any difficulties, then it really wouldn't be fun at all. I mean, that's why we quit our nine to five jobs. That's why we left home is because, yes, we're very comfortable and we had everything that we needed, but there's just something more soul satisfying about riding around the world on a motorcycle. And it's because of all those difficult roads and all those falls and those potholes that you get along the way that really make it rewarding and enjoyable. Yeah, and to throw in, I think that the percentage of like misery to the percentage of pure bliss, I mean, it's just heavily weighed on the, the, the amazing parts of exploring and seeing beautiful stuff and going down crazy little roads that lead to absolutely nowhere. You know, um, those are always present and, and are, are happening almost on a daily basis. But you know, we, we have a lot of blogs and we have a lot of Facebook pictures and all that, but a lot of people do tend to gravitate to the, to the ones where, you know, it's, it's the, the, the truth behind the facade some days, mm -hmm. you know, where 
yes, we had really, really bad days, you know, but, um, riding around the world on a motorcycle, just it's four to 10 to even 20 bad days a year are, are completely worth, you know, the, the rest of just being able to, to see all the amazing sights and meet amazing people. And also, I don't want people to get the impression from seeing Facebook pictures like it's pure bliss the entire time because it's not. And a lot of people think, wow, you are on vacation for forever. But it's really not vacation. It's more like a lifestyle. And you get your ups and downs. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's not as perfect as Facebook or Instagram can make you believe that yeah. it is, but it is definitely worth it. But, but that is what everybody posts, though. Everybody posts right. those photos so that people look at it and they think, oh, my God, look, look what they're doing. It's just the most yeah. amazing thing. You're not posting, look at this toilet I just had to use. Oh, man, <laughs> we did once. That was, there was, yes. And a good a good example of just that is my buddy had gone to Tijuana and he had, you know, blue pictures of, you know, resort beaches and all included. No, no, he like, went to Cancun. Cancun. Mm. This is true. And uh, as soon as we crossed the border into Tijuana, I, it was just like, it was overloading, sensory overload. And like, that was probably the worst place that we could have crossed into Mexico. But it was... This was Tim's first um, international country. I've been to Canada before. Okay, he went to Canada. <laughs> Canada is a different country than the United States. When he was a teenager. Um, but this was his first experience with a new culture. And of course, you know, we have a certain perception in our minds of what a country is going to be like before we get there. And seeing pictures on Facebook of friends' vacations in Cancun is a little bit different than actually riding into Tijuana and getting lost. Yeah. And, um, having to deal with the pollution and uh, the garbage everywhere and the giant diesel trucks that are cutting you yeah. off. So, yeah, <laughs> I was a little worried that Tim was going to want to just go right back home and not continue on because it was maybe not what he had expected, but he stuck with it. <laughs> that's a good segue into what I, I wanted to go into next. And that's you guys meeting, you went to school together, as we mentioned already, you were high school sweethearts at one point, you were prom dates. Then you, you sort of found that you went, it's like your lives tend to take separate paths, I guess. How did that happen? What, what, what did you notice there? How did you guys end up splitting apart? College. Yeah, I went one off of to college. A little bit more <laughs> academically active than the other. <laughs> I went to college in Maine, and so it was a bit of a ways away from Chicago, and so we broke up. And then I started traveling. I did a junior year abroad and went all over Asia and just fell in love with traveling and continued throughout my 20s. And uh, Tim did not follow in that path. No, but I got a good job, and I spent, you know, the five years, four years, instead of going to college, there's being consistent with, with where I worked, um, and climbed up to a fairly well, fairly good salary, a good position. They weren't, you know, nothing was a threat. And I bought a home, I bought a car or I bought a Yamaha Raider 1900. So I was, I was living your standard American, you know, live to work, work to live, buy nice, shiny things, flat screen TV, 
That is two different parallels. I mean, you can definitely hear that, um, yeah. you know, you staying and doing the, the the job. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with either one. I mean, it's, it just right. depends on what you're into. And because I, yeah. I mean, I think there's people who stay at home, never go anywhere, maybe grow up in the same town, stay in the same house as their parents. Mm-hmm. There's a certain quality to that. There, there's a, a certain familiar, familiarity that you get, um, friendships and, and in relationships that you make there that you wouldn't otherwise get. So you know, there's no right or wrong, but yeah, definitely different because I can imagine Marissa, you're going off and you're seeing, you're meeting new people. You're coming up with new ideas. You're, you're you're having new, um, a sort of outlook on life. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I definitely got smitten with it. But when I came back to Chicago one year, um, actually I came back married, (laughs) 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 I got divorced and, um, I met Tim again through friends and I just thought, well, you know, he's living a very American lifestyle and I'm going to have to sacrifice my more international global outlook in order to be with him. But I thought that's, that's a valid sacrifice because he was a really great person. And, uh, little did she know, little did I know that he actually wanted to travel the world on a motorcycle. (laughs) Well, so, she, so she, she been, you, you got you got a bit of the bug before you guys got back together. Um, so she would she, Marissa and I would always kind of sort of be in contact. You know, uh, she would come back every year, and you know, we'd we'd always meet up with a group of friends, and I was always just kind of semi jealous that she was mm-hmm. out seeing Petra, and then she was out. You know, like it's just like wow, she's she's doing this crazy stuff and my group of friends you know we're all doing the same you know we we had no stories to tell her they're all the same stupid circle of theirs so she's telling you of world travel and things she's seeing and you're telling her yeah well that's nothing you should see what they did at the bowling alley yeah (laughs) well the construction on 55 (laughs) but uh so I don't want all your listeners to boo all at once, but a long way around and long way down did have a, a, a huge, just inspirational impact that was in addition to all of my other wantings and cravings, or at least the known that I didn't want to do what I was doing. But uh, I wanted to travel and I liked motorcycles and I saw a movie about two people traveling on motorcycles. It could have been anybody, you know, but uh, yeah, that was... That was very inspiring because they went to a lot of really, really beautiful places. Um, Obviously, they had a little bit more financial backing than we do, but, (laughs) you know. Well, I think the film was was fantastic. Both those films were fantastic. They did a lot for a lot of people, and they they introduced a lot of people into the idea, the thought process that you can you can get on a motorcycle and do something. How they did it, or whether they had backup, I mean, that's that's something that other people can debate on forums. Um, exactly. To me, I think it's it's very inspirational what they did with that. But so you you saw that, and you thought you're, you're getting these thoughts of thinking that maybe you want to break away, but it's probably very a very scary thought for you because from what I understand, you actually didn't go very far from where you were born no that's very true i had been to midland ontario which is just across the border from chicago but Mm. for the majority of my life i kind of hovered around a 30 mile radius of the hospital i was born in but uh he didn't have a passport no i did not but when i was when i was younger my dad did load up all the kids and he would take us out west to go see you know the grand canyon and the 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 Northwest is just absolutely beautiful. So I wasn't, uh, you know, concreted down to the Chicagoland area, 
But uh, And that was something interesting because he had seen a lot more of my own country than I had. I'd been all over the world, but I had not seen these national parks and great uh, natural places that we have here in the States. And Tim would tell me stories. And we thought one day, well, wouldn't it be cool if we just rode out there on a motorcycle and got to see, you know, Yellowstone National Park and Beartooth Pass and Wyoming and Utah. And uh, at the time, we only had the Yamaha Raider, which is like a cruiser type motorcycle. And it was a beautiful bike. But it didn't really do off-road very well, and it was a little hard to pack it up to go camping, which we would do. We would pack it up, and we would go camping in the summertime on the weekends. But um, we wanted something that could take us out west to see these national parks, and so we bought the KTM 1190. The ultimate adventure bike, I guess, this in your true. mind. No, 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 Tim, don't get me wrong. I wasn't saying it was the ultimate bike. No, I don't want to get emails about this. I was saying no. to you. I saw I the saying. wing. <laughs> <laughs> so the KTM you saw as, as, as the big adventure bike. Tim, what was that like when you when you, you guys mentioned about going into Tijuana and Marissa, you mentioned about Tim wasn't ready for that or maybe wasn't prepared for that sort of culture shock. Tim, what was it like for you crossing over? Was that the point where you said, I want to go home? Um, no, not at all. I mean, it was... I mean, we're, we've lived just out of downtown Chicago our entire lives, you know, up until, you know, adults over Marissa wouldn't travel the world. And I moved a little bit further south. And I, and I will loosely say we, I think that we, we both don't like big cities very much, right? Um, so we try to avoid them across the states, across Mexico, across, you know, and, and anywhere we go. Uh, and we had just ridden into L.A., but immediately afterwards, we went into like the the redwood forest, and we were camping in the or not the redwood forest, we were sequoias. sequoias, um, and just nature, 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 and then the madness that Tijuana is, and it's just like jumping in the pool and then jumping in the 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 hot tub. You know, it was just uh, our GPS stopped working. Our GPS stopped reason. working. You know, oh well, it, you're in Tijuana, it stopped working. Yeah. <sighs> And then there's, it's just these concrete octopus off ramps, on ramps. And I was just like, get me on five. Where's five? I just need to get on five. And then I drive south for until the tip. That's all I need to do. But it was, uh, and like Marissa said, there's, there's diesel trucks that, and you're on these two lane roads and the diesel truck is going five miles an hour and is just smog that would kill Captain Planet in this tracks. And so it's either... <laughs> You know, you try to pass them and you risk certain desks or you just kind of hang out and lose a minute of your life every 30 seconds by breathing in. It was it was overwhelming, you know, but <laughs> but that, that passed. At one point in time, Tim pulled over and he's like, I think there's something burning on the bike. Yeah, I, think I think there's, there's something, something wrong, wrong with the bike because I'm very attuned to like the smells. I might not be mechanically inclined, but I do know when fluids are where they shouldn't be or when smells are presenting themselves when they should not be. Um, and again, Mexico in whole is beautiful, but I did think that there was something wrong with my bike. It's like it was, uh, oil burning or something. And I realized that it was just the industrial smells of Tijuana, you know? It was people burning garbage, you know, yeah. plastic, um, which is a common thing throughout Latin America. But yeah. <laughs> 
We're going to take just a short break to talk about some great stuff for riders like you, but we have a lot more to talk about with Tim and Marissa, including the impending Africa trip. Stay with us. Well, I can tell you from experience, those inexpensive lights you'll find on eBay and Amazon, they are a complete and utter waste of time. Get quality lights from Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops is a family-run business that takes pride in what they do because they ride with their product. So for the Cyclops family, it's not just what they do, it's who they are. Now, Cyclops has replacement LEDs for most bikes. They've also got auxiliary lights that you can mount on. They have a tire pressure sensor that I have on my bike. Great product. They have a new Raider CAN bus interface for the R1200GS and RTs. you got to drop by their website and see all the products they make. They're high-quality products. You want to see and be seen, and that's what they're all about. And it's not just for nighttime. Don't forget, daytime, that's see and be seen. You know, make sure those those cagers out there are actually seeing your bike. Their website is cyclopsadventuresports.com, and make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, if you like stories of adventure travel, particularly motorcycle travel, our friends at Road Dog Publications are pumping out more of these books all the time. They publish authors like Zoe Cano, Antonia Bolingbroke-Kent, Jackie Ferno, Graham Field, Paul Van Hoof, and a lot more. We have had many of these authors on Adventure Rider Radio, some great stories for inspiration or even just entertainment. So you can order direct from Road Dog Publications at rooddogpub.com or get them at your local bookstore. Um, also, some of them are, or if not all of them, are available on ebooks. And, and hey, if, if the store doesn't have them, ask them to get them in. That gets us more, more motorcycle books out there. And, you know, it's just you're going to see more of this stuff around, which is better for all of us. And if you're an inspiring author with a great story, contact Road Dog because they are looking for new motorcycle travel authors. RoadDogPub.com. And of course, anytime you're talking with them, make sure you throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. I think most seasoned riders would agree that there's some basic changes that you could make with any bike, any adventure bike in particular, that would improve the machine. And that one that is very important for adventure motorcyclists is your foot pegs. It's your contact point between you and the bike. It's your leverage for steering at slow speeds. It's your pivot for the shifter and the rear brake. And when you stand up, it's the only thing holding your weight. So don't take a chance on an off-brand by IMS products. IMS makes a full line of adventure foot pegs to fit your motorcycle from the a real wide foot peg, the ADV 1s and 2s, right on down to their rally pegs. It's the pegs I use on my bike, and it's the first thing that I would change on a new bike. A matter of fact, I would change very little. The foot pegs I would definitely change after using IMS foot pegs. IMSproducts.com. Make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio anytime you're talking with them. I'm speaking with Tim and Marissa Note here just after they returned from their motorcycle adventure through the Americas and now as they prep for the adventure to continue and sort of go up a couple of degrees by heading into Africa. You guys are, are getting ready now, as you said, to head to Africa. I think you're going to go to South Africa and go up from there. Is it Europe after that? Indeed. Mm. So now you've done North and South America, as I said before. You're about to go to Africa now. You're just, I think, days away from going to heading off to go to Africa. What have you learned from, from the South America, North America trip that you're taking with you to Africa? Um, for me, it would be, I think... 
when we when we were going to Colombia, right? And I, I think this is worldwide for a lot of places, but like you know, there's a certain stigma to to Colombia that was a little bit of danger. We just watched narcos, you know, do it like let's not <laughs> let's not go down some of these back roads and find drug cartels and rah rah rah. But uh, Colombia turned out to be one of my favorite countries that we'd been to. Beautiful people, beautiful scenery, just. Just absolutely amazing. And we did end up riding down every little narrow road into the back country to, you know, campsites that or will be with me for the rest of my life. So there is a certain kind of, um, obviously, when there is danger and there are going to be certain parts of Africa that are, I'm feeling the same assumptions of I, I originally had of Colombia, but. Um, the, I guess we're more open minded now. Yeah. The surprises of how amazing somewhere could be when you kind of have this assumption up front is both embarrassing and shocking because, you know, what I assumed it would be was we're going to relatively go quickly through Colombia because I don't really trust anything there turning into, man, I wish we spent another two months in Colombia because mm-hmm. it was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, Africa kind of has this dangerous ring to it as well. You know, and there are certain flare ups in certain spots and we're going to be intelligent and try to avoid political stuff and this, that, and the other thing, but to go into it, let, let the country prove itself to us before mm. we stamp it with, a uh, an assumption based off the internet. You both have what I think you guys described somewhere as basically different views of the world, or at least you started that way, basically different views of the world what are those views and do you still have them? Have they changed now? Hmm. Um, absolutely. We're constantly evolving. And my perception, I'd never been to South America before. And whenever I enter a new country or even a country that I've been to before, I have an idea in my head of what it's going to be like. And of course, that always changes. The minute I step into the country, I fill that idea with all new things. And so in that sense, yeah, our perceptions have definitely changed. Um, but as always, I guess I've always been very open to going anywhere. And I firmly believe that people everywhere in general are very nice. And there's only a small percentage of people that do terrible things that get on the news and that's what you normally hear, but that 99% of the world is great and generous and so friendly. So um, I've carried that with me and the more I travel, the more I believe that that is completely true. Yeah. And I think one of the major differences between the way she experiences traveling versus I um Luckily, we have a lot of the same interests and um, we, we, we both love nature, but she she's a linguistic and she can speak multiple languages and she gets a connection to, to people um, where I kind of just stand on the sidelines. But in the same breath, people in the community mean a lot to, to Marissa, where if it's a uh, an absolutely beautiful place, but the people are not so friendly. It's kind of tainted for Marissa. Where on my end, if it's beautiful and the people suck, then I don't care. You know, I can just go drive into beauty. (laughs) But, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really all about nature and camping and experiencing stuff as far away from the cities as possible. And she does like that human connection. So I don't know what that mm-hmm. says about me, but. <laughs> I, I wonder if it's not a good mix because one's looking for basically landscapes. The other one's looking for culture. It can bring right. you to, uh, are you showing each other stuff? I mean, Marissa, do you find yourself looking at landscapes in, in a different way because the way Tim is so obviously enamored with it? Absolutely. I mean, I came into the trip thinking, oh, I don't want to go any place that's cold. Cold and rainy is not my thing. But once we got to Peru and the high Andes and it was snowy mountain peaks and lots of rain, but I immediately thought, oh, this is going to be pretty, but I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it very much. But Tim was just head over heels in love with the landscape. And that really made me appreciate it too. I have a deep appreciation now for the rugged beauty of Peru and Bolivia. And um, I don't think I would have ever gone deep into those wilderness areas if it wasn't for him. Well, I certainly wouldn't have because he's, you know, the driver of the motorcycle. But uh, we do come to an agreement together of where we want to go. And yeah, I let him just lead the way into the mountains. And it was incredible. Tim, I know you you mentioned you were influenced by Long Way Round, Long Way Down. I think the BBC um, Planet Earth series as well, they were influencing Indeed. you. And now you guys have this, this great love affair, which which we didn't really dig into really deeply. But I mean, as I said, high school sweethearts, you split up, you went your own way. But you're always sort of looking at each other from a distance. And then you come together and you're doing this travel thing between the two years. But Tim, do you think that if Marissa didn't come back, if she'd stayed married to this horrible other person, yeah, thank <laughs> that you. found her first or that or the, at least married her first, if, if that was the case, do you think you still would have ended up on the road? Were you on a trajectory for traveling the world or would that not have happened? I sadly don't think that I would. Um, I think being too up with the love of my life has just made the experience so much better and kicked it off from the beginning. Um, I, we've met a lot of solo travelers out there. And again, pretty much every subject we talk about, there's not a right or wrong answer. But uh, as far as me, I couldn't imagine myself riding around all by myself, trying to absorb in all this without being able to turn next to me and and look at the same inspiration and awe on her, her face as, as mine is expressing you know, but, you know, and then when we both worked at home, you know, we both had nine to fives and we saw each other awake for a good four hours a day. And we transitioned that into, we were physically touching like 20 hours a day. Like <laughs> we were making physical contact with each other, you know, either riding or sleeping. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't imagine doing it without her. And I don't, I don't think I would have been as inspired to travel. I know it would have been a lot more difficult to have done. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. (laughs) You just mentioned no right, no wrong. When you're having conversations with people, is is Mm -hmm. a change for you, particularly Tim, uh, your, your idea of right and wrong with travel? And I'm not saying with travel itself. I'm saying has travel affected the way you look at what is what what is right and what is wrong in the world? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I wish that 
you know, I, there's there's a lot of things that I, I, I absorb while on the road, right? Let's just call them Buddha moments or whatever, right? Um, and the the enlightenment you feel of of being out in the world makes a good, warm, fuzzy feeling inside, uh, and it makes you want to be a better person. And it's just really hard in my case to apply those into the person I want to be in the moment, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I have all these great realizations of how I should be more relaxed and more chill and how I've, I've experienced that every time something has gone wrong with the motorcycle, um, it has worked out one way or the other. We fixed it and it's, it's frustrating in the moment, but it, it shouldn't be, um, that frustrating. And so I, I learn all these, these life goals or I, I don't know what else to call them, you know, but then the next time it happens, all this beautiful stuff that I imagine me the next time it's going to happen, you know, I, I kind of, I'm gradually and slowly becoming that person that I want to be. And a lot of it is because I, I've been going through beautiful parts of the world where other people have said it's been dangerous. I've been going through situations that have been really, really difficult. I've, I've had to deal with motorcycle mechanic issues where I'm trying to you know, make a, a 2.8 ohm dongle to get my kickstand to work based on some internet chat room, you know, but like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good feeling. And I, I really hope that I can strive to be that better person that all, all of my surroundings is, is showing me that the world is. What do you guys think life is about at this point? Oh, (laughs) quite a question. Um, I mean, you've, you've traveled around, you're, you've obviously changed your, your perspective on things. Even you, Marissa, I mean, you've traveled a lot before, but now you're traveling by a different style of travel, which forces you into certain situations, which you wouldn't have dealt with before. And you're at a point in your life. And I, I know this changes as we go through life because I know I'm older than you guys. And I've went through changes in my life of how I see things and how I, I picture the world being, you know, so what point are you at now? I have to say that for me personally, I'm in a very happy place in my life because this was a dream of ours. And for years, we saved up money with this dream in the back of our head thinking, well, that would be cool. Um, But are we really going to do it? And then it came down to it and we did it and we're still in the middle of it. And it it's just the greatest feeling to be so free and to be able to do what you really, really wanted to do. Um, And for me, I don't know if I'm going to travel on a motorcycle forever, but in this moment, I'm so excited to just keep going. That's all I want. (laughs) It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I've, I've gotten to know who I, I personally am. A lot better. I've gotten to know who Marissa and I as a team are a lot better. I've gotten to know, uh, you know, Colombians, Peruvians, Ecuadorian. You know, I've gotten to know humans a lot better. Um, and all that is just a really good, nice, warm feeling. Uh, and it's been said a million times over. It's not an original thought, but there are so much more commonalities between people than differences. Um, and sometimes even when governments are disputing, you know, it's the, the, the people themselves, they, 
they can care less. You know, uh, there's, there's people that gave me their sunglasses because mine were scuffed and they, they clearly had a lot less money than I did, but they just wanted to be part of the journey. They wanted to be there with me. They wanted their sunglasses to go to Yeshua, you know? And so, you know, and I was like, no, man, I don't, you know, I, I, I can go buy some, don't worry, you know? But yeah, I mean, the, the kindness and the generosity of, of people are, are what has, uh, you know, semi enlightened me in the past two years. I always knew it was a kind of a maybe of a thing, but people are nice. That can be now confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I always felt that, um, this was going to be just a two or three year trip and, uh, I, you know, it'd be an incredible adventure of the lifetime, but now I feel more and more like this is a defining thing of who I am. I want it to be who I am for much more than that. Um, and I do see that we will be traveling on a motorcycle or in some sort of way throughout our lives. Yeah. This experience has completely and utterly changed me as far as riding on a motorcycle around the world. Like I feel like that is now a deep part of my identity, even though I can't ride a motorcycle, I'm on the back of a motorcycle and now motorcycles and me is somehow synonymous (laughs) forever onwards. What's different about motorcycle travel from backpacking the way you were doing it before? Um, Like, I mean, other than the obvious. Much better. I think I have backpacked around quite a bit and uh, motorcycle travel is just so much more free. And you are received as a guest in the new place that you're at in a very different way. So as a backpacker, you get really stuck on the typical tourist track where you have to go from city to city in buses that are on that route. And it's very hard to get off of the planned route of public transportation. And uh, on a motorcycle, though, you have complete freedom to go wherever you want. And you really get into these communities where, I mean, I felt in certain towns in Peru that I was the first person from outside of that village to ever step foot there. Of course, Mm. that's not true, but that is the feeling that I had. And it was such an incredible feeling. Like you really get a sense of authenticity when you travel on a motorcycle, Uh, Whereas with backpacking, I mean, tourism is everywhere and it's a huge industry and it's great because we're tourists as well, but you get that a lot more as a backpacker, but as an overlander, it's just pure freedom. Yeah. A lot of people describe, um, you know, the tourist might be somewhere who goes to a place to visit for a week or a month at the most, whereas Mm -hmm. a traveler is more what you guys are doing. You know, you're going and experiencing places and spending more time in one spot. Right. That's completely it. What are you doing for money? Is it all on savings or, or are you working while you go? And, and how do you plan to do that as you go forward? Well, we saved up for about five years um, in hopes that we'd be able to travel for three. And we kind of overestimated, assuming maybe we'd spend somewhere, you know, and again, everybody else has their own budget, but we were averaging around $25,000 a year would be with, with shipping the bike and maintaining the bike and ferries and planes and, and all that goodness. Uh, and then uh, we kind of made sure we had a cushion just in case something 
awful happened, breaking legs or a complete disaster with the motorcycle that goes above and beyond your standard repairs. But, but this uh, is a good question because we are going to run out probably this year. <laughs> so yeah, right now we're living off of savings, but um, the real question is, what are we going to do when yeah. that goes away? And I don't know. Hang on, you're just about to go to Africa. You're gonna, you, you know, you're running out of cash, and you're still going to get on a plane. And I assume yeah. your bike is already shipped. Is it? No, no. The we're flying is- the motorcycle, and we're flying out of from Montreal. Canada. Yeah. So you're mm-hmm. flying your bike and the both of you knowing full well that you're going to be in Africa when you run out of money. No, we are assuming we will be broke by the time we get to Europe. Yes. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. We did that on purpose. And when you say broke, you have a contingency in there to get back home. Um, no, we want to. <laughs> we don't want to go back home. We're, We're just going to no. be broke in Europe. We oh. want to, well, we want to try to get some kind of job. Our, our plans are really, really loose because we don't want to make deadlines or stress about exactly what we're going to do. Things have worked out well for us so far. Um, you, you have know, to be flexible yeah. when you travel. And Absolutely. we figure worst case scenario, we could always come back home and, you know, crawl our way back to middle class here. But that's not our our go-to design. I'm an English teacher, so I teach English as a foreign language. Yeah, so, so you can speak English and Spanish and Arabic. I'm hoping that I can get a job somewhere. Um, we don't have a concrete plan, but I don't think we could predict what's going to happen to us. So at some point in time, we're going to start applying to jobs and hope for the best. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did write a book. If I can mm-hmm. plug my book, then everybody can buy it and then we can travel for years. <laughs> So how many how many book sales do you need to get to three years? <laughs> all of them. All of them. All, you, you printed the book. All the books. No, I haven't. <laughs> By two. Oh, I see. <laughs> hey, but, but, uh, before before we, we wrap things up here, I want to get some tips from you guys from South America. I mean, you spent a while traveling there. You rode around on your motorcycle. You had problems. You overcame them. What sort of tips would you have for people thinking of doing a similar trip to South America? Um. I think that I was even lucky going into South America by kind of having a lowered expectation. I Again, I thought Colombia would kind of be dangerous. I didn't know anything about the beauty. I knew there was a couple beautiful spots. And so when I went into South America, I was just completely and utterly blown away, eyes wide open, smiling from ear to ear almost the whole time. And a lot of that came from the fact that we, we did go down some windy gravel roads that led to nowhere to find beautiful spots. So I think one of the tips would be, you know, to, to actually explore and again, to let the country present itself to you before you, you, you stamp a judgment, a judgment on it. And I would say that if there are difficult sections, maybe areas that are not considered to be very safe, um, or a road that is maybe a little bit difficult, my advice would be to travel with others um, or any difficult sections because you're afraid that it's going to be dangerous at all. Uh, We found ourselves really having a great time when we traveled with other overlanders and motorcycle travelers. And we didn't do it all the time. We would kind of crisscross and meet up with them and uh, go our separate ways every once in a while. But 
it really helped us through the difficult sections because South America does have some very difficult roads that are very rewarding, but being able to go down them with uh, someone else who can help out because we did have bike troubles. (laughs) The asterisk on that advice, though, is sometimes it's, it's really hard to know what is a crappy road and what is a good road, you know? That is true. <laughs> yeah. The way you both answered that, you didn't get into gear. You didn't talk about the bike. You didn't talk about prepping to go on the trip. You went right to the way you perceive things when you mm-hmm. go. And I think that's an interesting perspective, but obviously that's, yeah. you see that as a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just heard a quote the other day of it's uh, who you are on the plane to your vacation destination is who you're going to be on the beach. You know, so if you're, if you're upset and grumpy on the plane, just because <laughs> you're on a beach, is isn't going to magically make it, you know, like it's, it's, it's all about absorbing and, and, and being able to, to react, I think is, is the big key that I've, I've learned on this whole trip. And when it comes to gear and the type of motorcycle we have and whether it's soft panniers or hard panniers, we firmly believe that, to each their own. You know, there are good things to be said about every type of gear and pannier that is out there. So, you know, for us, we just try to find what works for us. And I would suggest doing the same for everyone else. So as you're about to head off to Africa, the the big adventure, a lot of people would say, fears, apprehensions, do you have them? What are they? Absolutely. Um, I think I'm just as scared as I am excited. I've never been to sub-Saharan Africa. I um, only have the news in my head when it comes to perceptions. And I know that that cannot be correct. I know that there has to be incredible, incredible things about Africa. So I'm really, really excited. But at the same time, I have all these fears of being robbed, you know, going through my head and being eaten by lions. And <laughs> there's all sorts of things. One thing about happen. South America, there's not really any large predators and that's going to change in, in Africa, which is going to change our frequency of our love for wild camping, you know? So. Yes. Um, there's a lot of cautions that I've read online about, um, wild camping and getting out of your tent at night. You know, it's not advised for many reasons. I'm also worried about diseases like malaria, um, sleeping sickness, dengue. So yeah, there are concerns, but I know that that is what makes it special. So it's, it's not that we're going to have, you know, a comfortable, relaxing resort vacation over there. It's all the difficult things that we're going to face that are going to make it incredible. And I just cannot wait to see my first giraffe. (laughs) Not in Brookfield Zoo. And I'm kind of tunneled, you know, I mean, there's, there's concerns in my head as well, but, you know, I'm, I'm more fixated on the excitement of seeing the, you know, lions and, and tigers and giraffes and wildebeests and these little small towns there's no and tigers. there's no tigers no well veterans <laughs> a lot of it that's that's sad but uh you know to to get out and see nature there's there's a lot there's a, a world wonder that we're gonna stop by there's the pyramids the, yeah 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 um there's old churches built into the ground there's the set of star wars 
actually there's a whole variety of of, of cool things Some to more see. more modern history. Yeah, a little more, you know. So, so what, what, what did you guys do to prepare for this? I mean, there's obviously some fears there and, and substantial fears and they probably should be there. What did you do to prepare and how do you feel like you're, you must feel like you're somewhat ready for them? Um, or, I think a part of it is you have to leave before you feel like you're 100% ready because you may never feel mm-hmm. 100% ready. Um, and we learned that from the first time we did not feel ready to go on our original trip, but we left anyway. And that was perfect. Um, so we've done research, we've read other people's blogs and follow other people. I always say to people that like when Ted or Sam Manicone or like the, the people who did it long, long ago, they had a little bit rougher of a journey. And like, I think the exploration status is a little bit higher than the ranks of ours. I, I do consider ourselves true adventurers, but you know, with, with iOverlander and offline Google maps and the history of the last two years of the people who did it, like, uh, it's, it's a, a tad bit more easy for us. It's a little bit easier for us just because of modern technology, but, uh, yeah, the internet is a great resource. Yeah. And I do, I also think that in preparation, I don't think you should go out there completely ignorant and unknowing, but th- things are going to change so often. I mean, the political status of certain countries can change within months, if not years, if not, you know, if not, if, days. If not days. And so that's always a variable. But, uh, and, and the same kind of goes with mechanics of the motorcycle. Like you don't really need to know how to fix a certain problem unless that problem comes up. And that's kind of my same theory. <laughs> you know, we'll figure it out when that bridge comes. You know, like uh, we, we don't know the exact route we're taking. We have some bullet points and we have a pretty good rough idea. But we we also don't want to be have to commit to being anywhere at any point in time because that makes you – you know, deadlines are, are not our, our favorite thing to have. So it's just, it's really loose. It's definitely a balancing act between being or feeling like you need to be super prepared and not knowing anything. So we try to be somewhere in the middle. And it's heavily leaned on Marissa's knowledge because she's a little, <laughs> she looks stuff up. She knows the stuff she's, you know, she's, she's learning them. I may not be able to ride a motorcycle, but I try to be useful in other ways. Yeah. That's <laughs> a lot of responsibilities putting on you. I don't know if you're getting this because, <laughs> because now when something goes wrong, it's going to be your fault. Well, Marissa, you're the one that did the research. The, I'm just the oh, rider. Yeah, just a rider. I have my little chauffeur helmet on. Hey, we're going to be watching you guys on your adventure and seeing uh, what happens to you while you're in Africa. Oh, wait. And, and before Thank I let you. you go, let's plug that book. Tim, what's the name of the book and how does someone get it? Um, so it is available worldwide on Amazon, and it is uh, No Tears Frontiers. Uh, Maiden Voice. Maiden Voice. Could I do that again? <laughs> you, don't, you don't know the name of your book. Okay. <laughs> no, let's do it again. So the book No Tears Frontiers, uh, Maiden Voyage, is available worldwide on Amazon. You're also writing a new book. It's almost done. It is almost done. Uh Two up, fully loaded is the is the the next in the in the series, and that'll be on our journeys in North America and Central America. Yeah, and Rissa has also written a book. That's too many. Let's just stop with those because there is a travel <laughs> guide, but there's there's too yeah. It's a road guide to Peru. 
mm. for Overlanders. And it I'm is also called? going to be, it's called No Tears Frontiers Road Guide Through Peru. And uh, I'm going to be doing one on Bolivia and Chile and Argentina as well. Oh, so you guys are, are trying to finance your, your trip or, or your, the continuation of your trip through doing some, some writing, writing these books. You know, I think it's more of a labor of love because um, I wish that I had a road guide when I went to South America <laughs> um, more than a financial thing. You know, we don't expect to be millionaires from it, but we do love to share and inspire. So that's what writing is all about for us. Yeah. And it is hard to make a living on the road. Some people, they're, they write often um, for a, a a bunch of different sources, but we do make a couple hundred bucks here and there for different magazines. The book is always a, a nice drip, you know, of, of financial stuff. But, uh, you know, we, we try to explore as much as we can. The majority of it is sort of passion. And it's always nice when passion meets, uh, you know, a PayPal transfer of funds, U.S. currency. That sounds good. <laughs> We'll put a link in the show notes to your website. Marissa, Tim, thank you very much. Great to talk to you and best of luck in Africa. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. That was Marissa and Tim Notier in Chicago. It was actually in Tim's dad's home. I don't know if you caught the dogs in the background, but... They're about to leave for Africa on their KTM 990. Now you can follow along on their journey through their website. It's uh, notearsfrontiers.com. And we have some photos from Tim and Marissa that haven't been seen by most people in the show notes for this episode, as well as the link to their website, as we always do. you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of adventure rider radio i'd like to give a special thanks to elizabeth martin for all the work she does on these shows she's our producer and thank you for listening and being part of it because you are the reason we do this each week it's for you now you know in the show notes for each episode we always have pictures mostly they're they're pictures that haven't been seen very much um, and we also have some additional information write-ups about 
what we've spoken about, as well as links in that information. You can comment right there on the website. You can go right there below it and just put your comment on. You can also comment, of course, and post on social media and tag us in it. We are ADV Rider Radio on Twitter, Adventure Rider Radio on Facebook and Instagram. Now, we also have another show that we do monthly called ARR Raw. It's a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio where we have a raw travel panel talking about all things moto traveled. You need to subscribe separately for both shows, So, and you can find them anywhere you listen to podcasts, your favorite podcast app, and of course, you can listen right from our website as well, adventureriderradio.com. Now, before we sign off this week, I'd like to ask you to consider becoming a regular supporter of Adventure Rider Radio, if you're not already, by joining our patron team. It just takes a small contribution each month to help us produce ARR. Um, have a look at adventureriderradio.com forward slash support. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Talk to you next week. This is Bernard Smith from worldtour.org.uk. You are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Ah!